Welcome to All Eyes on Cleveland. Blue Wire Hustle proudly presents All Eyes on Cleveland on YouTube and where all popular podcasts are found. Make sure you hit that subscribe button tonight. Special guest Nick Shook of NFL.com's Around the NFL. Thanks for being with us tonight, Nick. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Uh, always, absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite uh, guests always uh, coming on here. So uh, you wrote the article up today on uh, Jadavian Clowney signing with the Browns. Uh, had the uh, contract details in there. Uh, interesting fact here before I ask you about that. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Clowney, John Johnson III, Troy Hill, Malik Jackson, Tack McKinley, all less than $15 million in a 21 cap hit. How'd they pull that off, Nick? Uh, I mean, it's it's a decent amount of backloading, uh, you, especially with the anticipation of, of the salary cap rising significantly um, after this year's reduced cap. It was already going to go up. The new TV deal money is going to make it go up even more after that. Um, so, so it's, it's creative accounting somewhat, uh, you're seeing it with a lot of teams. You're seeing it with a lot of teams that actually have really no cap space, or at least didn't really have any cap space, uh, projected, uh, before they did their own sort of creative accounting, which is adding void years and stuff like that. Andrew Berry hasn't needed to do that because they're not in a bad cap situation, but they're also wise in trying to, you know, uh, push some of this down the road. Um, when they know they're going to have more space and, and also try and throw in as much as they can now in terms of acquiring talent to really go after this thing. Because, you know, as everybody knows, there's no better position to be in when uh, you're trying to contend than when you have a young quarterback who's still on his rookie contract. And that is the Browns with Baker Mayfield going into his fourth year. Uh, you know, they'll have to address that whenever they do. But right now is the time to spend on guys like Clowney, where in the future that extra seven to 10 million isn't going to be available because it's going to be allocated to your quarterback. So, uh, now is the time to strike, and, and they've they've done that so far with these deals. And, and really, it's also interesting with the John Johnson thing is that he, you know, reportedly took less money to come to Cleveland. Yeah, so uh, that tells you one season of winning, going eleven and five, and winning a playoff game over a perennial playoff contender does a whole lot for you as a franchise. It's done a lot for the Browns so far. No question, uh, making a big difference for them. Uh, just winning in general, uh, and, and guys going to the podium talking about winning. You, you know, I mean, Clowney talked about the effect that that had on him. If you break down the deal for him, you know, they did that. This one has four void years. So uh, they actually lower the actual cap number uh, to 3.8 million. Though I think they'll have 3.6 in dead money next year when it rolls back up, right? Uh, a lot of people yesterday, before they got the details of this, were talking about Sheldon Richardson restructure and he may be a cap casualty, but none of that is, is going to be needed, right? Because, you know, They've been able to maneuver and not have to go to any of those restructures. Why do you think Barry has done that? Is that give him more flexibility like next year uh, and going forward by not having to restructure those guys or add years onto their contracts? Yeah, because typically when you restructure, what you're doing is you're taking the financial can down the road a year or, so, yeah. or many years in, in most instances. The, state, the Saints have actually been doing that for the last four or five years. Um, they would restructure other deals and, and push the cap hit down to the next year or the year after the year after. Uh, they did that with Drew Brees. They, you know, they they carry cap hits um, with him. I think for the next two years, somewhere around twenty five million a year, just in order to fit him in last year. It's it's one of the ways you can stay con uh, competitive when you're also dealing with the salary cap. The rules are kind of ambiguous. Teams have a little bit of leeway to do stuff like that. And you have a smart if you have a smart guy in your front office, you can uh, figure out ways to do that. It's becoming more popular, especially this off season. Uh, yeah. because of the reduced cap. So uh, that that's the thinking behind it. Um, but the good thing is, is, you know, you did mention that with Clowney's deal, which is a new deal that's signed, but other guys, 
not, you don't necessarily need to restructure right now because you look at Richardson, for example, you know, he's in the last year of his deal already. So, um, you know, if you were to restructure to create space, that would be one thing. But at this point, they really don't need to create space for anybody that's remaining. They've done a good job being, um, I think, not necessarily frugal, but um, smart financially in this free agency, not overspent, not gone out and spent too much. They did spend a lot last year, uh, but he's got them in a great spot. And this is what we can expect from a guy like Andrew Berry, who's very well respected for his intelligence and his understanding of the situation at hand. Yeah, totally. I mean, he's handled it perfectly. I think, you know, a lot of the edge players, I think, got overpaid early on in free agency, and he kind of sat back and got his guy with John Johnson III. And it's and it's played out well now because you get a attack McKinley and a clowny on probably for what, you know, you would have gotten one of those guys for. So you get two guys for one kind of. Um, all right, so why uh, – Nick, uh, and we're talking to Nick Shook of, of around the NFL and NFL.com here on All Eyes on Cleveland tonight. Nick, why was why has Barry been so relentless in his pursuit of Clowney? Uh, I mean, he really has been. You know, they courted him last year, kind of offered him a bigger deal last year. Comes back down to earth this year. He gets his guy. Uh, you know, Clowney said his agent was more open to going to Cleveland. Uh, and he said that he really bought into what Barry said. You know, he was just extremely impressive to him and, and the winning thing, right? So all of that combined gets him here to Cleveland this year. Why Why? Why is he so on Clowney, you think? You think he's a perfect fit or what? I don't know if it's necessarily a perfect fit, but I think that, you know, this is this is a former number one overall pick for a reason. Uh, it's beyond just the freakish athletic talents. There have been times in his career when he's been healthy where he's been a massive game changer. He's not a per down pass rushing extraordinaire necessarily, but I like what Brian Baldinger said on our air today on NFL network. He's a disruptor. He causes problems for opposing offenses, whether it's, um, you know, getting after the passer or clogging the run lanes or, or making a fool of a tackle and blowing up a play. That's what he's good at. And anytime you have that off of the edge, um, that that's, that's a weapon. And then you can pair that with miles Garrett. I mean, you just look at that on paper. You think you think of all the possibilities because we all know what kind of pass rusher miles Garrett is. Uh, if you can add a disruptor on the opposite side, then suddenly defenses have no nowhere to turn uh, in approaching them. It makes it that much harder, and it makes it that much more likely that the Browns are um, you know going to find success defensively. So, if you can get him at this rate, which I think that's the part of the pursuit that you talk about, um, you know, this is a, an affordable rate. This is much less than he was getting last year, and I think the, yeah. the agent change was very interesting as well. But again, we go back to the fact that they won games. I mean, last year just wasn't something that you could sell them on. Why would I go to Cleveland? You know, this is a place that. Adam Gase once threatened to send his his misbehaving Dolphins to. You know, if you, you aren't careful, you're going to get traded to Cleveland. Well, now people want to get traded to Cleveland. They want to sign right. with Cleveland because Cleveland has demonstrated, at least in year one under Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Berry, that that uh, they can be a winner and that they have a culture and, and, a, and at least a, a system in place, a foundation of sorts that can produce victories. And I think players like Clowney, who have bounced around on one-year deals, who got traded out of Houston after he got franchised, who probably should have stuck in Seattle if his agent was smart uh, at yeah. the money that he was offered instead of ending up in Tennessee. Um, at this point, it's it's about chasing team success, and and he's probably tired of of the hoopla and all the hoops that you have to jump through as a free agent, even whether you're a highly coveted free agent or a former number one overall pick who's kind of on the down right now because of a disappointing season. He's probably tired of all that. He probably just wants to go to a team, find success because success begets success, right? And, and if the Browns yes. are good as a team, then Jadavian Clowney's probably playing pretty well. So I can understand that fit for sure. Yeah, it was interesting how he kind of commented like, hey, man, give Miles Garrett the, you know, the attention. I don't want the attention, right? You know, so 
uh, interesting there. And, and one of the things that you talked about, the disruptor or disruption instead of production or a form of being a, a form of production, you know, he's an F to play up guy. He's going to cause havoc. He's going to set the edge. Uh, he's going to play the run really well. I think they like his versatility that they can move him inside and he can be disruptive in there as well. It gives him a chance to kind of, you know, uh, that run that NASCAR package a little bit with, with some of the faster guys on, on the field. But the main thing that I've kind of keyed on, and, and tell me what you think about this, Nick, uh, is, you know, in the AFC, you're talking about the premier teams in the AFC, the teams that you're probably going to face in, in a playoff game, uh, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson, the Josh Allens, the Patrick Mahomes, you're not just straightaway pass rushing those guys. You're having to, you know, contain them, run them down. And I think that's where Clowney can be a real asset to the Browns. Yeah, you need athletes. You don't, you don't need, um, in fact, that's why I think J.J. Watt wouldn't have been a good fit in Cleveland, especially at that number that they that the Cardinals signed him at and at his age. I think Clowney is the better fit financially. He's the better fit in terms of athlete that you need. Uh, and, and how he compliments Miles Garrett. So, yeah, I think if you're pursuing those types of quarterbacks and trying to, to defend them, I mean, we saw what happened when Lamar Jackson got out of the pocket last year on that Monday night game. Uh, having Clowney out there gives that offense two guys that they have to worry about. You can't just roll away from Miles Garrett. You can't just run your action away from Miles Garrett. Suddenly you have Jadavian Clowney on the other side. So it makes sense. Again, in theory, it makes sense. Now it just comes down to him being healthy and him being remaining on the field because production will come as long as he's available. He's that type of player. Um, there Statistically, he didn't have sat any sacks last year, but there were still plays where you know he made that that were impact plays. So if you get a full season of him and he's healthy and he's playing opposite Miles Garrett, they're bound to come. Can you correlate him being in camp to maybe cutting down on some of this injury stuff, you think? Like, I think it's pretty big that the Browns get him in camp, right? Yeah, I mean, he hasn't really participated in camp the last two years. He was a late signing last year uh, in Tennessee anyway. And, uh, you know, he was battling injuries the year before. So, and then he ends up getting traded to Seattle, you know, right basically at the start of the season as well. So this is the first time that he's going to kind of understand where he's going and and how to plan uh, for the season ahead before May or before June. So I think that's a big part. You know, you can get him in the building and start to understand the defense then you can start to understand how you can use them uh in comp you know in tandem with miles garrett with the rest of the defensive front and just build an understanding because you know one of the best assets that a team can have at this point right now is time it's time just to to familiarize yourself with each other and understand what your roster the strengths and weaknesses might be before you even go into the draft and then start preparing for the season both physically and mentally so i think the fact that he's signed now he's got this out of the way he's done his presser and he can just kind of go off into the offseason without worrying about where am i going to be is a huge advantage for him you're watching All Eyes on Cleveland tonight. Special guest Nick Shook of NFL.com's Around the NFL uh, story this morning uh, with the details and everything on the clowny signing for the Browns. Uh, good stuff, good article. I'd go check it out at uh, Around the NFL and NFL.com. Uh, Nick, uh, let's transition a little bit to the draft here, okay, uh, real quickly. Uh, how does this signing affect the Browns' approach to the draft, you think? Well, I think it's interesting because um, I've been saying for, God, probably a month or longer now, most of the, of the offseason, when I looked at the Browns last year, it wasn't edge rusher necessarily. I know Olivier Vernon got hurt and they missed him and, and, and his departure. You know, you had to anticipate that. But it wasn't necessarily edge rusher, which is a sexy position, uh, according to fans these days. And they always want a tan, you know, tandem edge rushers. They want the beast off the edge. It yeah. really started with Von Miller and Demarcus Ware in Denver, you know, five, six years ago, uh, that that became like something that every team coveted because they realized how much of an impact it could make uh, on opposing offenses. Um, I, 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 I kind of strayed away from that because I felt, A, that you could address this in free agency. B, the draft wasn't as strong there. 
when I looked at the defense, I, I, I saw the same glaring weakness the entire time. When healthy, it wasn't cornerback. It wasn't safety. It wasn't edge rusher. It was linebacker. I mean, this is a team okay. that last year was playing with um, stopgap linebackers for the most part, and B.J. Goodson and, uh, and Malcolm Smith. Sione Takitaki stepped up in spots, Mac Wilson as well, but th- that was a weakness to me. I thought the second level of their defense got built out a decent amount of the time by that front four, but ultimately, if you're going to be a good defense, you've got to have reliable linebackers, especially in today's day and age when most teams are going sub-package. You're going to have five defensive backs out there, so that means that linebacker's got to be able to, to defend the pass, and, and they just didn't really have those guys that could make that type of impact. So I've been thinking linebacker this entire time, and there's two guys um, that have been projected to go right around where they're picking, which is Zayvon Collins and, and Jameen Davis from Kentucky. I'm a huge fan of Davis. I think he's a three-down linebacker who could instantly help them um, become better at that position group. He's a guy who I think could hit the field running. Um, Zayvon Collins, I, I think, is is a, a more traditional guy. Um, he, he is more athletic at that size than most linebackers at that size are. And I think he would be an impact player as well. But I, I don't think he can go wrong in either position. So that's like, as we go into this draft, that's where I hope, you know, if, from the Browns' perspective that they're targeting. Uh, because now, now that you've signed Tack McKinley and you've also signed Jadavian Clowney, it's just not as big of a need, in my opinion, in the short term, maybe in the long term, and you can address it somewhere else. But right now, I think you strike um, where your need is and where the best players available are. And I think the best combination of that is linebacker. And you've got a couple of guys right there who could really make an impact. It should be really telling how they approach this pick, especially at linebacker. A, I wonder how much they value the off-ball linebacker, right? Like, I, I just... It, that's kind of been something that we hear is they just don't value the position that much, right? Like, will they use the 26 pick on a linebacker? I don't know. And then we've seen, it, it's interesting that you say that because we've seen recently more linebackers mock to the Browns. So you wonder if there's maybe something that's, you know, they're hearing or something's going on out there. Uh, who knows, right? Uh, it's it's silly season as far as that goes. But Jamin Davis has been mocked to the Browns a lot, and, and you, it's interesting you like him, you like Zayvon Collins. I, I wonder, though, you know, you, they still have to address long-term solution to edge, uh, you know, beyond this year, and you still need a wide corner, right? Uh, and it's kind of a deep corner class. Thoughts on guys that you like there, maybe at 26 or in the second round? And uh, anybody that you really, really would want them to key in on. Yeah, it is a deep corner class. I mean, it, it, they could go corner at the position if they wanted to. I, I'm kind of putting more stock than maybe I should in the return of Greedy Williams because, uh, you know, his departure last year left a big hole in that secondary. And Terrence Mitchell did a pretty good job filling it for the most part. But when they didn't have Denzel Ward, it became a glaring issue. You know, having Tavier Thomas play considerable snaps during the yeah. regular season is not, not a situation you ever want to find yourself in. So I think no. they answered the nickelback position with, with the signing of Troy Hill. And I think you count on Greedy Williams to come back and then you maybe supplement that with somebody else i don't know if you necessarily spend that high pick on a corner because you know you spent your highest pick that you had a couple of years ago on greedy williams and, and you don't want to just give up on that because he had a nerve issue that knocked him out especially when he sounds very optimistic about uh, potentially returning to the field this year so um as much as you missed him i think that you don't want to i think overcompensate for that uh by, by drafting corner if you do want to go with a corner um, a guy that that kind of still intrigues me, even though he was basically projected to be the top corner in the draft before he had this back issue uh, that knocked him out of his pro day and kind of, you know, now you're hearing other people putting other corners higher is that Caleb Farley kid. I don't think he's there at 26. Uh, maybe you go further down the list, you end up 
with the kid from Northwestern, Greg Newsom. I mean, there's depth there, and there's also the, the potential for all these quarterbacks to come off the board, which every quarterback that comes off the board is another player that's available for the Browns to potentially consider. So there, there's a lot of different directions I think that they could go in. Um, but you know, this, this is a pretty solid class at corner. So if they do go that way, I think they'll find a quality player. I just, I just wonder, um, do do you try to maybe make up for what you lost in greedy being gone last year and miss out on a player at, at linebacker that you really need, uh, and could use and could be a game changer like a Davis. Uh, I know that a lot of people have started to realize that he projects to be kind of like Darius Leonard. I wouldn't want to pass on Darius Leonard for another corner if I'm getting greedy <laughs> Williams back. So that's, that's kind of my logic in the whole situation. Yeah, that that is some that's uh, an eye opener right there when you say that that name with him uh, as a comp. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, my kind of draft crush or my you know the guy that I've kind of fallen in love with at corner is Tyson Campbell from Georgia. I really like his game a lot. I think he's going to kind of fall after twenty six into that day two. Do you think the Browns will move around a little bit because they have nine picks? I doubt nine players make this roster. Can you see them moving around in the draft a little? Yeah, I don't think they move out of 26. I saw one one mock draft earlier this week that had them moving down to, I think it was 29 or something like that. That only happens if a guy you want is, he's either the guy you want is just went right ahead of your pick and you want to drop back because nobody else is there that you really want or, um, or you know, you just feel like you want to pick up additional picks for the future. Um, at this point, I don't see them moving out of that position, but I do see them moving around from there because you're right. I don't think all nine guys are going to make the roster. I do think that, you have to keep that constant churn to find the best talent, but they've done such a good job in free agency really in the last two years and the draft that they had last year that it's not so necessary to hit on um, all those picks. You know, last year you got Grant Delpa in the second round, and I, th- yeah. I thought that's going to prove to be a, a big pick if he can come back from that Achilles injury, um, and you can maybe maneuver there. So I think there is room for movement. Uh, it's not that you need to immediately make the pick exactly where you are to get the best talent available because you have enough talent on your team right now to run as is. So you can kind of draft for need. You can kind of take a risk on a guy if you think he's the best player or has the highest potential uh and you can maneuver accordingly because all the pressure is not it's it's kind of ironic actually that you think about the year that the draft is in cleveland the thing that browns fans always look forward to more than anything because they rarely have any hope in the regular season uh <laughs> is suddenly one of the least important things uh, on their schedule in the off season so right. uh, i think there's plenty of move for or room for movement for them uh interesting topic here and we'll keep it moving though off of this but real quickly uh, thoughts on what's going to happen with Nick Chubb here. Do you think they, you know, after the draft is over, do we start hearing about potential contracts with him? Are they going to kick this down the road? I know the franchise tag is very beneficial if they really want to play it out like that. I think it, it's like three years, $36 million, which is kind of what the contract will look like eventually. So you could play it year by year if you wanted to. Uh, what are your thoughts on how they handle Nick Chubb? I mean that that deal, as described, I would probably sign him to today. Uh, I would I would pay him twelve million dollars a year. But you know, I think the biggest point of concern for me was Nick Chubb and his is um, you know his longevity. And I thought that he answered that really well last year, suffering that knee injury, which could have been much more significant than it was against Dallas, and coming back and not really missing a step. It took him about a game to get his feet back under him, and uh, and he was the impact player that he was before uh, down the stretch of the season when he came back. So. I think that's really encouraging that bolsters your confidence in wanting to re-sign him, but I don't think you're in a rush. Um, Ideally, you get that done before this season, uh, but the good thing is is you're not dealing with um, a diva at running back in Nick Chubb. Uh, This is a guy who, you know, he's a worker. He doesn't say much. He's committed to the cause, and I think that – Ultimately, however long the negotiations do take, that they'll strike a deal and, and it won't be that painful. 
All right, real quickly, before I let you go, Nick, and you've done a great job tonight, and we appreciate your time, let me bring this up for you here real quick, okay? We're hearing this stuff about the off-season program, right? Uh, and the Browns are, you know, today come out, and obviously I think it was kind of a foregone conclusion because of Treader being on the Browns, right? Yeah, So yeah. Treader's, I mean, you know, they're going to be one of the teams that says that they're going to go uh, all virtual, right? So I'm looking at this tonight, and uh, – you know, nine weeks in length, voluntary, except for one mandatory mini camp. You know, they have the three different phases here. But when you get down to the, the third phase here, there is a mandatory mini camp. And then there's, of course, the rookie camp, mini camp, which, you know, is certainly valuable to those guys. What are your thoughts on, on how is that going to work out, right? Like, so they're not going to go to the OTAs. They're going to do it all virtually. I think the Browns have accepted that, and they accepted that they have the president on their team, and this is kind of part of that, right? So, but what about the mandatory minicamp? Is this something that they're going to go to? Is this going to be taken off the schedule? Do you have any idea on this? I mean, based on the way it was announced by the league, I, I would imagine that they would be expected to be there for the mandatory minicamp because it's okay. mandatory. But the thing is, is, that's like the last week of the third phase. So it's it's right. way down the road from now, relatively speaking. You know, we're in mid-April right now. That's not till late May, early June. So they right. they have the majority of that work, which is what they're talking about, which is the strength and conditioning portion, which I think I, I, I am of the belief that the only part of off-season activities that you really need, if you're talking about the future of the off-season program, you don't need the strength and conditioning part, which is part of the first phase. If you're not doing football-related activities, drills, and you're just working out and doing that type of thing, if you need direction, you'll be there already. If you don't need direction, the guys like Odell Beckham, they train on their own, they understand their bodies and all that stuff. They're going to go do it on their own, and teams largely are fine with that as long as guys have the experience. I think the off-season program, more than anything, is beneficial for the types of players that are the opposite of J.C. Treader, the, the young guys, the guys that you draft, which is why the rookie minicamp exists. And it's also um, beneficial for guys who are going from year one to year two, the Donovan Peoples-Jones types, the Nick yeah. Harris types, who, who could use those reps, especially not get, after not getting those reps last year. So I don't think that it's going to be a big shakeup necessarily. So you're not getting your football drills in that second phase Big deal. It's only a week long anyway. Uh, it's that third part where you miss some of that time, the 10 days of OTAs, as you've got highlighted there on the screen, that type of yeah. stuff. But a lot of those meetings, if you're going to do them virtually, um, I think you'll still accomplish the majority of what you would accomplish in person. They proved that last year with the with all the virtual meetings, the offseason. I mean, you got to give Kevin Stefanski a ton of credit for installing his offense largely from home. I mean, that was, nope. that was a big no uh, achievement on his part. So I think you do all that. And then you finally, you say, you know, all right, guys, let's just come in for a week. And, you know, you've had this entire period to do it at home. You've trained on your own. We've done this all virtually. Let's just come in for a week. I can't imagine that most of those guys would have that much of an issue with that. I could be wrong, but I can't imagine that one week of time during the offseason is going to be a huge sticking point for them. The other thing, though, I do give the NFL a lot of credit for is trying to be in the forefront of advancing vaccination. And, and the reason that I say that is you'll see in this document, in this, in this memo that they released that, Basically, they're telling teams, we expect you to encourage vaccination and we expect you to do everything in your power to make it available to players, staff and their family members when they qualify, have vaccination days or make it easy for them to set up appointments to come get vaccinated so that in the future, that's not the sticking point. It's more about the wear and tear on bodies of players, which, again, veterans are going to lean toward doing things away from the facility and and then come in for the actual football activities. Maybe you shrink down the football activities going forward uh, in future seasons and, and handle most of the meetings virtually. And then you come kind of to a point of compromise where it's really not an issue anymore. 
So you think this rookie minicamp stuff stays intact? I would imagine yes, because um, those are new entries to the NFLPA as well. So, um, right. I, you know, typically, typically in, in traditional union um, negotiations, you, the union's going to want a hard line on all members. But I can't imagine that rookies who just got drafted, especially late round picks, are just going to sit out because the NFLPA is doing that when they have to go earn a job. They might not even have the NFLPA to back them in a year if they're not going to these camps. So that's why I think that they'll probably end up still doing that. Certainly. Yeah. That may, okay. That makes sense. And, and it's kind of a, a relief. I'm, I worry about that stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, that seems like a, certainly the Browns were successful in doing it, but you would like to have the guys out on the field with the coaches, you know, in the summer at some point. Right. So, uh, and certainly that's valuable to them. And I wonder, I just don't want to be at a disadvantage because Treader's the freaking president, right? Like, and they yeah, just don't have I, the option. Yeah. I, I don't think that's something you have to worry about. Oh, all right, very good. That's uh, good, good stuff. Wait, uh, you eased my uh, my my angst there, Nick. Nick, great job as always. You're a fantastic guest uh, as always. It's so knowledgeable and uh, friend to show. I know I sent you an All Eyes on Cleveland T-shirt at one point. We've got a new logo. Everything. I'm sending you a new one, brother. All right. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. All right, man. Thanks so much for your time tonight. We appreciate it as always. Yep. Thanks for having me. All right. Get me out of here, Mikey. Take me to break. There we go. All right. They're all eyes on Cleveland. We here. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you uh, to Nick Shook for uh, making the time uh, tonight to uh, talk about Clowney and a number of things that he's knowledgeable on that other people in the industry. It's hard to find guys that uh, have the level of knowledge that Nick Shook has working over at NFL.com and for the around the NFL. Go check out his article this morning. Uh, you are watching All Eyes on Cleveland. Make sure you hit the subscribe button down below, and you can catch the podcast where all popular podcasts are found. Uh, my name is Brad Ward. Mikey's on the ones and twos. Uh, let's uh, real quickly uh, go through just a couple other uh, things of business today with the Browns. Porter Gustin signed back. Uh, Steven Carlson signed back. So, uh, the Browns uh, bringing back a couple of guys there that are reserves, but key parts of what the Browns want to do, certainly. Um, interesting stuff from Nick there on linebacker. That's the first time we've heard somebody uh, from somebody in the know really put an emphasis on linebacker there at 26. I was kind of under the, the, the thought process that the national media and some of these people mocking uh, you know, Jamin Davis or and uh, the other uh, linebackers, Xavier uh, Con uh, Collins, uh, other guys to the Browns at 26, don't really have a grasp really of what the Browns think of their linebacker room. I think the Browns kind of thought before talking to Nick that the Browns were happy with what they have in their linebacker room and okay with going into the season with Walker and hoping that Phillips makes another step because I don't think they value the position as much. Uh, I'd be surprised. I really would be surprised if they used 26 on a linebacker, but Nick seems to think that 
that is an area that they could get better at. Now, if you get an elite guy, like if he's, you know, he said, you know, brought up the idea that, you know, Jamin uh, Davis could be a really, really special guy. And, and if he's going to be one of those guys, one of those freakish you know, guys that you can only comes along every once in a while, linebacker, then it makes, then it's a different story, right? But if it's just another linebacker in the first round that you're taking with your 26 pick, you know, that that's different. But he makes the comparison there to, you know, the best linebackers in the league right now, which are hard to come by and are huge difference makers, as you saw in the Super Bowl, right? Uh, you know, so, you know, with Devin White, uh, so if it's a, if he's a guy like that, then it's a different story. So it's all about your evaluation and really what the Browns think they have there. You know, once again, I go back to the, the idea that from what we know of them, they just don't value that position. And, and I would be surprised if they go there at 26. I would be surprised if Davis is that guy. Uh, that that Nick kind of compared him to. But if he is, I, I'd gladly be wrong, you know, if that's the direction they go. I actually have a lot of faith in what Andrew Barry thinks right now, and I have no problem going linebacker. I just kind of thought that's my perception of what they think as a front office was that they're happy with what they have. And they would, you know, they'll address it, but maybe later in the draft as another guy that can run or whatever, but probably not with on day one or even maybe day two. Uh, you know, I think they got to look edge, long term, Ojalari, Asai, guys like that. Newsom, I think they like a lot. You know, if, if he talked about Caleb Farley, if he falls, I highly doubt he makes it to 26. The guy that I love, I was on, I did, uh, the rebuild today uh, with uh, Henry Ettinger and Jordan Zerm, their podcast, uh, also at Blue Wire Podcast. Uh, but I, they had me on their show today talking about this stuff. And Tyson Campbell is a guy that I, I just absolutely am infatuated with as far as a cornerback goes. And, I, and we were talking about where he's going to fall. He'll probably fall not in the first round, but he's not going to make it to 59. So maybe that's a guy that you can target and come up. Because that's a guy that they took in Georgia, and Georgia's got two good corners. They got the Stokes kid as well. But with Campbell, that's a guy that they just said, you know, go guard that dude. One-on-one, we're leaving you out there. And and if you watch him against Devontae Smith, I mean, he bumps the guy 20 20 times in a row. Nobody else in the entire season or probably his entire career at Alabama was able to sit up there and play press coverage on Devontae Smith 20 times in a row without playing off of him or worried about getting deep. And he's in his hip pocket the whole time. Same thing with Jamar Chase. I think Campbell is a is a guy that is not being valued high enough and that could be a steal in the second round. So just the kind of guy that I'm really high on there uh, as well. Uh, wide receiver-wise, I like, I like the Dynamite Brown kid a lot. Uh, I've been watching a lot of his stuff. From North Carolina, I think that he is being devalued as well, uh, and and I think that he could be a steal too. So just a couple of names there that I've been paying attention to here recently. Uh, it's uh, Thursday night. Uh, we potentially may have a show tomorrow. It's in the works, potentially. We could have somebody on or maybe uh, over the weekend. At the latest, it'll be Tuesday. We've got a big week next week of guests uh, coming in. Uh, and I'll post those on Twitter as you will enjoy them. But uh, they're all high-quality guests talking more draft as we get after it here uh, down the stretch run just two weeks away from the draft in Cleveland. 
and uh, you can see some of the setup and all that going on. Appreciate you guys uh, watching tonight. Big thanks to Nick Shook from NFL.com. Uh, NFL.com is around the NFL for Mikey on the ones and twos. My name is Brad Ward. This has been another edition of All Eyes on Cleveland. Hit the subscribe button on your way out. We appreciate you uh, and everybody uh, stay safe out there. Have a good night.